All right. Uh, while I get set up, turn to the person next to you, introduce them your name, uh, and ask them uh, what was the most recent awkward moment you had? What was the most recent awkward moment you had? So have a chat, and I'll bring us back in a moment. Hopefully you feel a lot better after you got that off your chest. A good counseling session. Uh, how about I pray for us before we dig into God's Word? Father God, we want to thank you for the gift and privilege it is right now as we get to sit under your Word and we get to be challenged by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray as we look at this passage that you may encourage us, that you may teach us, that you may challenge us, and Lord, you may stir within our hearts affections for Christ Jesus. He is our King, He is our Lord, He is our Saviour. Help us to follow Him all of our days. And it's His name we pray. Amen. How are you at saying goodbyes? How are you at saying goodbyes? Uh, we're going to put up an image on the screen. I wonder if you're, you know, one of those people who are quite emotional, you know, when it comes to saying goodbyes, you're the person who's crying and you just can't hold it in, maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you're like Liam Nielsen, uh, who apparently wants to hunt you down and give you a hug. Uh, that's, I think that's what he said in that movie, Taken, I'm pretty certain of it. Uh, maybe you're someone like that, maybe you're a hugger. All right, maybe tonight you want to give me a hug uh, when I leave. Uh, maybe you're someone who's actually quite cold. You know those people who like, don't hug you, don't even shake their hands. They're just like, yeah, bye. And then that's it. You know, maybe that's you. Uh, or, or maybe you're one of those people who are like at this, you're really awkward at it, right? You're like, you don't know, do you do the handshake? Do you do the hug? Do you do the kiss? And before you know it, like me, you shoulder someone in the neck. That might happen to some of you tonight. I hope you're looking forward to it. How are you at saying goodbye? Uh, most recently, uh, my parents actually had a, a family dog. And uh, I remember when we got this little dog called Dakota, and she was this cute little golden retriever. And I got it in you know, year 12 during my HSC. And I remember she helped me study. Not really. Uh, but, um, and she was a cute little thing, and she grew over time in the last 12 years uh, to the point that she became an old dog who my kids love going over and patting and such. Uh, but then also she became a sick dog. And so actually only a, a month ago, she got put down by my parents. Um, now, to some of you here, you don't like dogs. You're like, oh, so what? But for those of you here who, li who like dogs, who've had a dog, you know that actually when you lose a dog, it's quite hard. It's like losing a child. And so you've got to say goodbye. And when you say goodbye, you reflect. You think about the good times and the bad times. When we do this, whenever we say goodbye to people in regards to death or when it's regards to people going to Mexico, like such as myself, okay? When we say goodbyes, we reflect. It's a natural part of life in many ways, and in many ways we're used to it. Used to it, sorry. Uh, I'm sure many of you here, even in the last few months, have had to say goodbye to someone else. And you're used to this process of thinking about the good times and the bad. Today, as you should know, unless you've been asleep, is my final day uh, after being here at WBC for two and a half years. Um, for some of you, uh, maybe if you're new tonight and you've never met me before, maybe your feeling is quite neutral. Uh, you don't really care that I'm leaving, and that's fine. I'm not offended at all. Uh, hopefully for many of you here, you're sad, right? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> and hopefully there's not many of you at all, only a small amount of people who are joyful right now uh, to be seeing me go. Hopefully that is the case. Uh, as I've been uh, thinking and reflecting with Mark, uh, in particular for the last few weeks and, and months, I was trying to think what would be a good passage for me to preach on um, as I said goodbye to you guys, and what would be a good passage that will be helpful for me to share a few reflections, as well as to encourage you guys for the transition and season ahead. And what I thought would be appropriate is actually to look at Acts chapter 20. Because in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says goodbye to a church he loves in the church of Ephesus. 
And so as I say goodbye to church I love, I wanted to take Paul's farewell message and pull apart some reflections from it, which are also the same reflections that I have today. Now, before I tell you those uh, reflections, let me just remind you a little bit about uh, the church of Ephesus. Uh, It was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul as he went to this city with only a dozen people. He uh, went into the Jewish synagogues and proclaimed the good news about Jesus until he got kicked out. And then he basically went went to the UOW equivalent in Ephesus, to the university halls, and he proclaimed the gospel to Jews and Greeks as well. And he did that for about two years. And God blessed this ministry. Like, really, he absolutely blessed it. So many people turned to faith in Jesus Christ. There's also the miraculous that were occurring. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. It's in Ephesus that literally, if someone touched Paul's handkerchief, they would be healed. It was incredible, the things that were going on. Not only were there miracles, there was deep repentance. As, As many people in this city decided to put away their idols and to actually turn to faith in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, in this city, they actually had this fire where about $12 million worth of pagan literature and witch, about witchcraft and, and sorcery was burned up because these people wanted to follow Christ as their king. Miraculous things that occurred in this church plant. People responded to the gospel positively, but then also negatively. Famously so, in the city of Ephesus, after Paul's work, a riot occurred. And it's just about time after that that Paul actually left that city to go to Jerusalem. You see, I want us to look at this passage now where Paul says goodbye, in particular to the the elders of this church, but more importantly also the church as a whole. And the reason why I wanted to do that and the reason why I wanted to compare myself with Paul is not because I think I'm awesome. It's not because I think I'm like Paul. That is not the case at all. In many ways, today's sermon, as we compare Paul's ministry and my own, is sort of like, you know, those puzzles where it's sort of like spot the difference. And, you know, they give you two photos and there's not many differences. And you're going to go, oh, that's right. There's like a bird there and not here. We're going to do that a little bit with me and Paul tonight. But it's going to be huge differences. It's going to be a pretty easy game for you to do. But the reason why I wanted to do this tonight is because as we leave here tonight, I don't want you guys to think, man, how great are the deacons? But instead tonight, I want you to leave here going, how great is Jesus? And so that, like always, that's going to be my aim, and that's what we're going to do, and I'll show you later on how we get to that. But before we get there, I want us to talk about these four reflections that I have from my ministry, as well as from the Apostle Paul's. And we're going to see them in the text, and then I'm going to reflect on them myself. And so let's begin by looking at verses 18 to 21, where we'll find our first reflection. And so let me uh, read this out to us again. It should hopefully be on the screen. It says this, When they arrived, he said to them, Paul said this to the Ephesian elders, the leaders, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The first reflection I have of my own ministry, as well as Paul's, is this, is that authenticity matters. Authenticity matters. You see, in this passage, the Apostle Paul basically says to these, these leaders, hey guys, look, you know me. You know how I've lived. You know how I've served. You know how I've preached. To begin with, in regards to how you lived, you know me. I lived with you every single day. You saw how I lived. You saw where I lived. You saw how I spent my money. You saw how I interacted with my neighbors and with you as well. 
You, you would have eaten with me. You laughed with me. We joked. We cried together. You have lived with me. I've been an open book for you to see. But then also you see how Paul served. Paul was saying to him, look, you saw how I served you with humility, how I counted other people above myself, how I valued other people above myself. He says as well, though, how I served you with tears. Paul's saying to them, remember guys, remember how I was there in the hospital bed with you, praying for you as you're going through things. As I was there at that funeral, grieving with you as as you grieve a friend or family member, depart. But then also, Paul says, remember during times of testing, when I was under pressure, how you saw how I dealt with conflict. You've seen my ministry. But also, you've seen how I preached. Paul says, look, you saw how I loved the Word of God, how I taught all of it whenever I could, both publicly at church as well as privately in home groups. And how he basically tried to call everyone to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was real and he was open with people because Paul knew that authenticity matters in the community of God. He knew that if the people of God wanted to grow in maturity, they had to grow in vulnerability. He understood when it came to leadership that people relate to your weaknesses and they follow your strengths. He understood that the Christian faith is not about being perfect, but it's about pointing people to the perfect Saviour. As I reflect upon my time here at um, WBC, uh, I want to humbly say that I, I believe I've, I've done my best to try and be open and vulnerable and authentic with you. Uh, I haven't closed myself off. I haven't been reserved by any means. Um, and I've been honest, sometimes brutally so. I've tried to drum into our hearts here, in particular at 6 p.m., that authenticity matters. That if there's any place in your life where it's okay to not be okay, it's here in the community of God, with the people of God. Or it's okay for you to be open and vulnerable and real about where you're at in your life and your faith that is here at church. Now, this is a place for us to be real. This is really important to me as well as to Apostle Paul and to our church. Like, look, we did a 10-week series entitled Authentic Faith in the book of James. I've done my best to share my life, my family. I've done my best to serve you with humility and tears. And I've done my best to preach God's word like Paul. But I don't say that to boast about my perfection. I actually say that to point out my imperfection. Um, In the last two and a half years, there's been times where I've struggled to be disciplined in prayer, where I've struggled to be disciplined in reading God's word. And I'm a pastor. There's been times where I've struggled with lust and greed and anger. There's been times where I have made unwise decisions and said unwise things. There have been times where I've had conflict with people. There's been times where I've chickened out of tough conversations. There have been times when I have been disorganized, distracted, and disengaged from you guys. And for that, I'm sorry, both to you and to God. And yet what I've learned is that in my imperfection is that I'll find comfort, I find hope, I find peace, not when I try and block myself away from people or God, but instead when I'm vulnerable with them, when I am real and authentic. In particular, um, in that James series, I remember one verse from uh, James chapter 4, verse 6, where it says this, it said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
If you're not a believer in Christ Jesus here tonight, can I encourage you to put your faith in him, to trust in him? Yes, faith is important, but so is repentance. And so can I encourage you to humble yourself before God? Because to be honest with you, God is not the sort of God who wants to bless and show favor to the arrogant. God is a God who shows favor to the humble. That is in his nature. That's in his character. And to my brothers and sisters here tonight, and those of you who follow Jesus, can I, can I plead with you as I depart that you be authentic with one another? That maybe if you're struggling, maybe, maybe mentally or struggling with depression or anxiety, that, that you ask for help and support and prayer. Not, not just from me and Mark or Rod, we're here to love and support you, but from your own brothers and sisters in your home group or in your church community here. If you're struggling relationally with people or in your, in your marriage or your friendships or within your own family, there's conflict and you need wisdom, can I encourage you to humble yourself before other people? If you're someone who's struggling with an addiction, it could be to computer game, it could be to pornography, it could be drugs or alcohol or multiple different things which are affecting your relationship with God and with other people, can I encourage you to ask for help? to be vulnerable with other people and ask for God's help, most importantly. Remembering that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I hope that we remember that, church. I hope you guys remember that because Paul knew that. That's why he was authentic and vulnerable. That's why I've tried my best to model that. And I hope you continue to do the same. That's my first reflection. Authenticity matters. Authenticity matters. Let's uh, keep reading, though. Let's have a look at verses 22 to 24. Uh, before we see the, to see the next reflection. Uh, Paul says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The second reflection I have for us is that the gospel matters. The gospel matters. You see, I wonder if you thought this through. After Paul has poured himself out for this church, after Paul has seen this church explode, after he's seen miracles and, and lots of people turn to faith in Christ Jesus, after he's seen marriages restored, after he's made himself a home in Ephesus, like after he's discovered what are the best cafes, you know, after he's discovered what are the best takeaway joints, you know, after he's made a home and a really nice tent, and he's renovated and done a really good job, you know, and he feels comfortable, what does he do? He goes. And in particular, he goes to Jerusalem, despite the fact that the Holy Spirit has been warning him that imprisonment and suffering are awaiting him, he goes. And he does this because to Paul, the gospel matters. The gospel matters. The good news of Christ Jesus, how he lived the perfect life on our behalf, how he suffered on the cross because of our sin, how he died on the cross because of our sin, but then also how he rose from the dead so that we have the hope of forgiveness and eternal life and resurrection. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel Paul knows that the gospel saves people, that it brings people from death to life, from despair to hope, from darkness to light. Paul knows that the gospel saves, but also that the gospel changes people and sanctifies people and grows them in their maturity. What your heart needs to hear week in, week out, believe it or not, is just the good news of the gospel because you never graduate from it. 
As Tim Keller says, it's not the ABC of Christianity, it is the A to Z of Christianity. You see, I love this church, and I love in particular how we love God's Word, and I love how we love to dig into it and learn theology and, and, and learn new things. But let me make this clear to you. What God wants from you is not for you to become a smarter sinner, but for you to become a gospel-addicted saint. Because the gospel matters. I know in my time here, um, I've done my um, best job here uh, to teach you the gospel, no matter what I'm preaching on. It could have been the role of women in 1 Timothy. It could have been suffering in the book of James. It could have been about a left-handed assassin that killed a fat dude. I did my best to get to the gospel for you. I've done my best to remind us of our first love of Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, I've also done my best to humble you and to drop the hammer on you about your sin and rebellion and your need for grace. And so church, may we never forget the good news of the gospel. The reason why, in particular, that my family and I are leaving a church that we love, are leaving a city that we love, are leaving a house that we love, is because the gospel matters. You see, I know some of you think, but oh, you're going to Melbourne, man. Melbourne's great. And it is. I know it's not a third world country, right? I'm not going to Jerusalem to be beaten up. I get that. But at the same time, Melbourne is cold, right? <laughs> Melbourne is expensive. We won't be owning a house there. Melbourne is far away from my friends and family and from you guys who have become my friends and family. And on top of all that, apparently the coffee is terrible in Melbourne. Man. And yet, like Paul, compelled and convicted by the Holy Spirit, we go there because the gospel matters. And so, church, I pray that that would always be the case for WBC and for you, that the gospel will always matter. The gospel will always matter. Reflection number two. Let's keep on going, though. Let's look at the next reflection. Let's look at verses 28 to 31 in particular. Paul says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in and among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, day and night, with tears. Uh, some of you know this, but before I was a pastor, I was a civil engineer. And in particular, when I was an undergraduate engineer, I worked at Wagga Wagga, which is out in the country, if you didn't know that. Um, and it's a great place. I loved it. Uh, in particular, what I used to do, I had to travel a fair bit uh, to go to different towns and regions where there was different projects. And I remember one time when we went to Hay. Uh, if you've never been to Hay, don't go to Hay because uh, it's just not that good and there's nothing there. Uh, my apologies. There was a family here this morning that actually lived in Hay and they loved it and were quite offended. Uh, hopefully that's not you right now. Um, but in all honesty, don't go to Hay. Uh, the reason why you don't go there in particular is because it's like one of the flattest places in Australia. Uh, and as you drive out to Hay, there is just nothing on the road. Like, there's no trees. There's nothing. If you see anything, you are just thrilled. Okay? And in particular, I remember one time as I was driving... Uh, with a work colleague and he was in the, the, actually the, the driver's seat and I was in the passenger seat and I was quite bored until I saw this flock of sheep and I was like, whoa, something to look at, that's awesome. And so I got interested and I was looking at them um, and, but then all of a sudden I realised that my friend who was driving the car started to like, act a bit anxious, he seemed a bit worried and so I said to him, I said, what's wrong? Like, like why are you freaking out? Like, they're nowhere near us, they're like hundreds of metres away from us, nowhere near the road. And he said to me, you watch this, they're going to come for us, they're going to come for us. I was like, what are you talking about? 
within seconds, this hundreds of sheep, right? There's so many of them. I haven't seen so many sheep in my life. All of a sudden, just decided not to run away from the road, but to run towards the road. And as they did that, my friend slowed down and he didn't have time to completely stop. And so he's just trying to weave his way through and then trying not to hit one until he got to the end and he hit one poor sheep. And on that day, I was exposed to the country lifestyle of what do you do when you hit an animal and how you get out your hammer and you put the poor thing down. You see, on uh, pamphlets, in particular advertising in New Zealand, uh, sheep look nice and cute and cuddly and friendly. But in reality, actually, sheep are dirty, unintelligent, wayward, stubborn, and vulnerable to both prey and four-wheel drives. And so I find it quite interesting here that Paul uses the metaphor of sheep to describe us as the people of God. What an encouragement. In particular, as he talks to the, you know, the elders in Ephesians, you know, he, he, he talks to them with this metaphor of shepherding and he encourages them to protect and look after the flock, the people of God. He warns them that false teachers, that wolves will come amongst the flock and try and devour them. And so he says to the elders, the church leaders, be on guard, protect the flock. Now look, this is dangerous, right? Like equating you and I with sheep. And yet Paul knew the human heart better than we do, didn't he? He knew that the reality is, is even though if we don't want to face the facts, that you and I can be unintelligent, we can be wayward, we can be stubborn, and we can be vulnerable to false teachers and false thinking. And what does Paul say to these elders who, as they try and shepherd the flock? Well, in particular, what he says to them, he says, guard the truth, guard the truth, because the truth matters, and do so with conviction. He says, guard the flock through the truth. In my time here, I've done my best to do this from the Word of God. Don't be wrong, I've made mistakes and I've learned lots of wisdom as I've tried to do this. And yet saying all that, I haven't hesitated to preach you the whole will of God. No matter what the text is, I've done my best to preach it to you, to tell you the truth, to defend the truth here. And in all honesty, it's been a huge joy to do so. Like, like what I love about this church in particular is there's a love for God's Word, but there's also theological unity like in particular, as, as elders, we meet every fortnight in the library and we argue about many things from Mark Roberts' haircut uh, to my fashion style and all sorts of things, but we never argue about theology. We, are, we have unity. We, we know the, the scriptures, we know the truth, and we do our best to proclaim it and to defend it. And I love that about this church. It's been a huge joy to preach the Word of God to you guys. Because you guys are hungry for it and you, and you want to know more about the scriptures and you want to know the truth. Don't get me wrong. Some of you are a bit stubborn. <laughs> but majority of you, majority of you are a huge joy to teach. And so for that, can I say thank you? Can that I say thank you? But then also, can I encourage you, church, to be on guard? To be on guard. Not because I believe that as I leave that Rod and Mark are going to be false teachers, that they're going to be wolves that will devour you. I don't believe that for a moment. They're two incredibly godly men and great teachers of God's word. Not for that reason, but in particular, it's just important that you pray to thank God for the theological unity that we have and that we defend it and stay true to it. And so pray for your church leaders, pray for your elders, pray for these pastors, pray for the new pastor to come, but also pray for yourself. Because the unfortunate truth is, if a wolf was to come in here, it's probably going to be one of you, as you try and defend your personal preference rather than the gospel. And so please be praying for this church. Thank God for it, but also pray 
that they continue to defend the truth, especially in a culture that's going to be against it. Think about this flock analogy in particular and pray for the flock that it will mature and that it will grow so that if the, if the shepherds want to do some innovative things to try and reach lost sheep, that they can. Pray for this flock that they'll be self-feeders, that they'll care for one another so that the shepherds will have time not only to try and reach the lost sheep, but also to try and defend against the wolves and to help the herding. Pray for this church that the truth continues to matter and that it is centered on the word of God. Because the reflection number three I found, and I hope you continue to uh, keep to, is that the truth matters. The truth matters. Let's move to our fourth reflection. Let's look at verses 32 to 35. 32 to 35. Paul says this, Now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. To give than to receive. Uh, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is he is a hard worker. Like he's a hard worker. Like he's a full-time pastor. He's a full-time theologian. He's a full-time evangelist. And he's also a full-time tent worker. Like this guy works hard. This is a guy who had an intelligent brain, an elegant tongue, but also rough hands. This is a man who had scars from his tent making, but also had scars from the beatings he received for preaching the gospel. He was a hard worker. And what I love about Paul in particular is he didn't work hard and, and use his gifts so that he may get that big house, so he may get that nice car, so he may go on that nice, relaxing holiday. But he did it instead so that he may give to other people. So he may be generous rather than self-indulgent. It's such an encouragement, but also it's such a rebuke to me. Because I want to be honest with you, as I compare myself to Paul here, I have not worked as hard as Paul Look, I am so blessed that I haven't been beaten up here, to be honest with you. When I've made a mistake, you know, Rod hasn't pulled me aside and, you know, smashed into me. He's been very kind, which I'm thankful. Yes, I actually have coveted some of the things you guys have, unlike Paul. And unlike Paul, I have been blessed actually to be paid full-time to be a pastor. And I want to thank you for that. Matter of fact, when it comes to this reflection number four, which is generosity matters, this is the reflection number four that I found, is that generosity matters. When it comes to this reflection, I believe that Paul knew that, but I believed I had to learn that personally. And I believed you guys taught that to me. So many people in this church have been so generous to me and my family. So generous when it comes to giving me gifts, from giving me a heater to helping me with a drill so I can renovate, or actually coming to my house and renovating. Some of you here have been not only generous personally in my life and giving me gifts or my family different things, but in ministry, where if you prayed for me or you've encouraged me or you've just put up your hand and said, yes, Joel, I'm happy to help. I'll do whatever you want. You guys are a generous church. And you've taught me that when it comes to ministry, generosity matters. And so for that, can I say thank you? Can I say thank you? I, my, myself, myself, sorry, I've learned generosity matters as well. I've done my best to shout many of you coffees or to buy you books. I, I've done my best to be generous when it comes to, you know, generously trying to correct Mark's fashion or when it comes to correcting Rod's numerous, and I mean numerous grammatical errors that he does in emails. I've learned that generosity matters and it is so important in ministry and it is so radical in a self-indulgent world. It's so radical. 
Because you see, gospel-saturated people, they're generous. They're generous with their time, with their money, with their possessions, with their prayers. They're generous and they're forgiving people because they understand the good news of Christ. They understand that they've been blessed to bless others. In all seriousness, there have been ups and downs in ministry. That's okay. But what I've learned is that ministry requires my generosity. It requires my intellect. It requires my discipline. It requires my time. It requires my energy. It requires my emotion. It requires my family. And yet, let me tell you, in the most difficult times that I've been a pastor here, when I've I've met up with James as he's just feeling desperate for the suffering he's going through, as I've grieved a mother who is, I mean, so not grieved, hugged a mother as she's grieving the death of her son. In those moments, as I'm giving my all, I have learned that generosity matters, but also I've learned that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so for that, I want to thank you. It is the best job in the world to be a pastor and to give and to be blessed. And so I hope that you remember this. You remember that it is more blessed to give than to receive. The generosity matters that is radical in this world that is self-indulgent. And in particular, I pray that you remember this in this next season that is to come. As I move on and as Mark and Rod try and hold the fort together for a few months until the next pastor comes in, there's one or two things you could do. The first thing you could do is go, you know what? I'm going to disengage myself from these guys and from this church. You know, I put my, I was generous towards Joel. I, I helped him. I, you know, I prayed for him. I supported him. I did many things. I, I loved him as best I could. But he was only here for two and a half years, and then he went away. And so I'm, I'm not going to give my trust and my generosity and my effort to this next pastor or to Rod and Mark in this season. No, no, no. They have to earn it from me. They have to earn it from me. They have to build my trust in them. Can I plead of you not to do that? And in particular, can I, can I lovingly remind you that Paul's only in Ephesus for three years. I know my time has been here short, but at the same time, Paul was only in Ephesus for a short time, and look how blessed that church was. And so can I encourage you to do the opposite? And so can I encourage you to continue to value generosity, to continue to trust and support and pray for your pastors and make this job as easy as possible for your elders and for your leaders here and for the next pastor who comes. To be generous like Christ has been generous to you. To know that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Reflection number four, generosity matters. Generosity matters. You see, there's many more reflections I've got from my time here. But in particular, what I've learned is that authenticity matters, that the gospel matters, that truth matters, and that generosity matters. And I'll be praying for you guys that as a community, you continue to cultivate an an authentic community, that you continue to be passionate about the gospel, that you continue to defend the truth, and that you continue to be generous with one another. I pray that that would be the case. And yet, as I come towards a close here in regards to my time as your pastor, as well as in this sermon, what I want us to do is I want us to zoom out a little bit of those four reflections, those four trees, if you will, and look at the forest. And ask the question, why does, why does Luke put this farewell in Acts? Why does he put this here? What's the point of it? Because in many ways, I actually believe that Paul's farewell to the elders here in Ephesus parallels Jesus' life, and in particular, his journey to Jerusalem. You see, I wonder if you remember how Paul and Jesus are like one another, how they both were setting out to Jerusalem, convicted by the Holy Spirit, despite the suffering that was to come. How they're similar. But then also note how they're different. Note how the Apostle Paul had friends, just like I've had friends here. 
Friends who cared for him, prayed for him, supported him, mourned his departure, begged him not to go, compared to Jesus. Jesus who went to the cross alone. Jesus, on the night before his uh, betrayal and the Garden of Gethsemane, he had friends, he had the disciples, and he, he told them the journey that was to come, and he, he was anxious because of the suffering and death that was awaiting him because he was a human. And so he asked his friends, his disciples, to pray for him in that time of need. And what did they do? They fell asleep, just like they did at the Transfiguration. And then what happens when the soldiers come? Yeah, sure, Peter tries to put up a fight, but then after that, what happens? They abandon him, and even Peter denies him. But hey, it's okay. Jesus got his father, right? God the father, until he goes to the cross. And God's wrath is poured out on him for our sin and for the sin of the world. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ becomes the loneliest person in the universe, in all of human history, at the cross. As Tim Keller actually says, he says that Jesus experienced cosmic loneliness that we can only imagine. I think all of us here at different times or seasons know what it's like to be lonely. Well, think about Christ and in that moment on the cross and how lonely he was. And why did he do that? Church, Jesus became the loneliest person in all of history so that you and I can become friends with God, so that you and I can become friends with one another. Jesus died alone so that we can live together. Jesus died so that we can be reconciled, so we can be forgiven of our sins, so we can be redeemed, and so we can have a relationship with God the Father, but also so we can have a community, the church, where we can be vulnerable and generous with one another. Church, I hope that you never forget the good news of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, your King, and how he modeled to us that it is more blessed to give than to receive, as he does this at the cross. Being a pastor at times can be a tough gig, but it's also the best job in the world. And you guys have blessed me so abundantly, and I'm so thankful for that. And so as I leave, can I bless you by just pointing you to your Savior, Jesus, just savoring him, adoring him, clinging to him, the hero and the perfecter of your faith. And get this, the ultimate shepherd. I've probably disappointed you be it by me leaving or before that. Mark and Rod, I love them. They will disappoint you. They are not the ultimate shepherds. The elders are not the ultimate shepherds. Jesus is. Jesus is. He is your shepherd. He is your king. He is the ultimate shepherd who laid down his life for wayward for stubborn, for unintelligent, for sinful sheep like you and me. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then after that, we're going to respond to God by singing to Jesus about how glorious he is, but also by taking communion or what is called the Lord's Supper. If you're wondering what is the Lord's Supper, it's nothing magical about it. This is bread and juice and that's all it is, but it's symbolic. And in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to symbolically take the Lord's Supper as a church to declare that Jesus is our King and to be thankful for Him and to be people who are authentic with our Lord and Savior as well. And so if you're not a believer here tonight, can I ask you not to come down the front during the music and dip, uh, grab the piece of bread and dip in the juice. Can I ask you not to do that, not to take communion tonight, but instead to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But for those of you here tonight who Jesus is your King, can I encourage you to be authentic? And to spend some time in a moment where there's silence, to repent of your sin, to ask for God's forgiveness, and to cling to your Savior. 
because he is worthy of our praise and our affection, but also as well as our honesty. And after you've taken communion, church, can I encourage you to sing? Can I encourage you to adore your glorious shepherd? I pray and hope you forget me quickly, but I also pray and hope that you never take your eyes off your Savior. How about I pray? Father God, we want to thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, Paul adored him. Paul lived for him. Paul did his best to proclaim the good news about him. And I've done my best here too. I've learned lessons and yet in many ways I have been blessed by this church. And so I thank you so much for them. Lord, I pray you continue to be working through them by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that this may be a church that glorifies Jesus, that may be centered on your word and empowered by the Holy Spirit to try and love Wollongong and beyond. I thank you, Lord, for the sheep that are here. And I thank you for the blessings that they are. And Lord, I pray that you bless them and you be with them. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.